Yeah, somebody made a reference to uh, the Crystal Gravy. That's the SNL sketch where they say... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. I'll put my Joe Jackson up against any player in the circuit. The boy can hit, he can run, he can throw. If he could read, he'd be perfect. <laughs> All right, everybody, this is episode 31 of Recotopia. I am Chris Atkinson. I am Jeremy Scott. Yes, and today's big recommend is Eight Men Out, our second John Sayles movie. So John Sayles gets the the honor, quote unquote, of, yeah, being, of being the second, have the first director to have two movies on Recotopia. The yeah. last one was Lone Star. We did that early on in the run. Um, how's everybody doing out there? Everybody doing yeah. great? Got to see the YouTube yeah. and the Twitch going on. That's pretty awesome. People look beautiful. People <clears throat> do look beautiful, indeed. Um, so, uh, anyway, glad to see you guys out there. And uh, do you have any small recommends, Jeremy? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. I do. I'm excited about these recommends. Oh. I finally, oh. finally oh. sat down with my wife mm -hmm. to watch on Netflix mm -hmm. the documentary uh. Inside the Mind of a Cat. Oh, oh. Um, now, this is cotton candy. Um, if you like cat videos, if you have cats and like them, you will enjoy this experience. It's an hour and seven minutes long. Mm -hmm. um, it does have real science. They do talk to several people who are full-time cat researchers, uh, behaviorologists, who have done tens of thousands of runs of various experiments and studies uh, to reach some of the conclusions uh, that they share. Uh, it's not all just cats being cute, though I should caution you, it is full of cats being cute. Mm -hmm. um, all different kinds, big ones, small ones, uh, all different breeds. Uh, but there's actually some knowledge dropped in this documentary. Um, for instance, there's a woman who found a skeleton remains of a small boy on Cyprus with uh, a cat skeleton buried with him. And basically, her research shows that has to have been a pet because Cyprus didn't have any cats. This is back in the Neolithic era. This is before ancient Egypt was mm -hmm. worshiping cats. Mm -hmm. um, so somebody had to intentionally put a cat on a boat with them and go to the island of Cyprus to live with their beloved animal. Mm -hmm. So it's the first evidence that goes way back before we thought of cats and humans uh, having some kind of relationship. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff that uh, you may have already read if you casually read about cat studies now and then, like blinking your eyes slowly at the cat is a sign of letting them know that you are comfortable and you are safe, and they will sometimes slowly blink back to you. <laughs> um, we have always interpreted that in my house as like, I love yous, mm -hmm. even though it's much more about I'm comfortable mm -hmm. around you or I'm comfortable right now. Mm -hmm. 
Um, lots of really interesting stuff about how to uh, warm a cat up to you if there's a cat that doesn't necessarily seem to like you. Um, really interesting stuff about how cats in Japan are behaviorally uh, evolving differently than cats in the United States hmm. um, and react in wildly different ways to new items and new surroundings. And this is largely because Japanese cats are almost entirely house cats and never leave the house. Um, and they have smaller living spaces there. So new items, they don't ever meet strangers. New items, new people scare Japanese cats more than they do American cats. Hmm. Really fascinating stuff. Breezes by, like I said, hour and seven minutes. For anybody who likes cats or cat videos, uh, I think you would really enjoy it. Uh, and again, it's on Netflix. It's called Inside the Mind of a Cat. All right. Well, I'm definitely going to watch that because, I mean... I'm always yeah. trying to get inside the mind of my cats. Uh, yeah, what, exactly. What, what in the world are they thinking about uh, yeah, in this uh, – when they do this certain thing over and over again, what does that mean? And, like, if I've just fed you and you're meowing at me, what is that what, – what's, what's going on now? Like, you know, you don't need anything now, right? What's going on? Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I will definitely watch that. Um, I uh, had a recommend from a friend – uh, to watch uh, Emily the Criminal. And uh, I have uh, uh, gone to see this. Uh, Aubrey Plaza, who I think everybody in the world loves now. Like, like there was so. a... There was a point in time where if you were watching Parks and Recreation, you felt like you were the only one who knew who Aubrey Plaza was or whatever. And now everybody's like on the Aubrey Plaza train. And that's that's good to see because it's uh, she is awesome. Um, yeah. uh, uh, Emily the Criminal is about this woman who is uh, working at a uh, working at a like a catering place or a kitchen of some sort. And uh, she lives with, like, uh, several other roommates who we barely ever see their faces. She comes into the house and, like, you know, talks to them or whatever. And it's clear that she's got some financial difficulties. She's looking for a better job, but the job interviews that she's going to uh, inevitably uh, lead to the fact that she's been in jail before, that she's been uh, convicted of some sort of crime or it was like battery or something like that back in, you know, 10, 10 years ago or something. And, um, the first interview that she goes to, uh, the guy says, well, we didn't, we don't do background checks here or whatever. And, and then, so she feels free to open up about certain things. And then suddenly he drops the bomb on him. Well, we found out that he had a battery charge or whatever, and she she realizes that this was a whole like you know uh, sandbagging type of thing. So she she leaves the interview, uh, you know, uh, you know, and you know, just saying like, why would you do this to me? Why would you do that to people or whatever? Just you know, just come up front and say this is what if this is going to be an issue, just tell me. Um, so she's trying to she's trying to get uh, a better life and everything. And she has a friend who's keep, who keeps teasing this job that she might have, but just never comes through. And then finally, one of her coworkers gives her this number and says, go to this place, call this number and this number, they call the number and they say, come to this place tomorrow morning. I'm like, okay. Of course, by the way, if you ever in this situation where somebody just gives you a number and tells you to call it and you don't know anything about it and and uh, then they tell you to show up to some place the next morning, probably shouldn't do that. I'm just going to give yeah. you some, some life advice uh, right there. 
Um, she, um, but there would be no movie if she didn't. So she, uh, she calls the number. He goes. She goes to this place, and it's like this: uh, a number of people who are who are brought in, and this guy comes up and says, "Okay, I want you to know straight up, you will be breaking the law today if you decide to do this." Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're going to give you these credit cards and you're going to go into the store and you're going to buy this item using these credit cards. They're obviously like stolen numbers, uh, something like that. It's like, you can, you can, uh, you can leave right now if you want to, but if you, if you say yes, this is what you're going to do. So her first job is to go into this department store and buy a TV using these stolen credit card numbers or whatever. And then she just comes out with the TV and they wheel the TV in the back of a van. And obviously all these big TVs they're going to sell somewhere down the road. Um, so she does that and she starts having trouble at her own job, like keeping up with her own job uh, at this point because she starts going back and wanting to do more of this this stuff but after a couple after 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 one involving a car where she like nearly gets killed basically uh she goes to the guy who seems to have kind of a shine to her and and after all she is aubrey plaza so you're going you're going to you know you're going to have a shine to her but she says why don't i just do this myself she so he teaches her how to do the the stuff that he's doing and and have you know and just do this stuff on her own and uh, obviously, some complications arise from her mm. doing that, mm. and uh, it goes into some some uh, pretty fun places. Uh, and there is a great moment where Aubrey Plaza uh, has an interview with Gina Gershon in this movie. It's really fun. Uh, what happens in that interview? Um, I would uh, I would highly recommend this. This is an unusual movie. Uh, Aubrey Plaza, obviously known most for comedies and stuff like that, but she's built quite a dramatic resume over the she's years. She's got a dark side. I know she leans into it in her public-facing persona. Mm-hmm. Like, I think even, like, her Twitter bio is basically like, I'm evil or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but she likes, like, this This movie reminds me of Ingrid Goes West. I don't know if you saw that. Where she gets obsessed with uh, a social media influencer and kind of single white females herself into that girl's hmm. life. Hmm. And then uh, did you see Black Black Bear, I think it's called? Yeah, I saw that. Yep. Where it's like two different movies yes. back to back mm-hmm. where everything is interpreted differently. Uh, mm-hmm. She's really good. Yeah. Uh, when she leaves, she's great at comedy. I don't want to take away from that at all. Mm-hmm. She's really good at the non-comedy stuff. So this immediately hits my radar. But this is you're saying this is in theaters right now? Uh, it is, but I think it's really close to being, uh, on streaming at this point, because when I saw it, I saw it at our local Belcourt and it was the last show. So, uh, okay. so that could, it's probably going to be on streaming soon is what I am assuming. And, and, and when I say soon, probably in the next week or two, probably is what I'm, what All I'm right. thinking. So excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to leave. Uh, the world of movies behind for my second small recommend. Uh-huh. Return to the world of food. Ooh, food, yes. And I want to tell you about a sandwich I made. And it's a sandwich <laughs> I'm going to make over and over again. <clears throat> now, this is, I, I'm going to call it a grilled cheese. You're going to call it a melt. I don't really give a crap. It's not, that's not why I'm here. Mm-hmm. All right. In middle Tennessee, and I think Tennessee uh, throughout, is, is littered with uh, pulled pork barbecue restaurants. Yep. Um, most of them are takeout. I do not 
cannot speak to your state. Uh, I would guess there's a little bit of pulled pork takeout in most states, but it's like every other block in some areas of Middle Tennessee. Mm -hmm. There are a handful, half a dozen chains. Um, I have my favorite. I like to go and get a pint, maybe two pints of pulled pork, bring it home with the buns, and they give me two kinds of sauce. Red barbecue sauce. It's tangy. I don't like it. Uh, Almost clear, vinegary, uh, light brown sauce. I love it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I always have leftovers. And usually I just throw them on a plate, put them in the microwave, and eat them. They're delicious that way. This time I decided to do something different. All right? So we're going to make a grilled cheese melt with pulled pork. And so I threw a little bit of oil and a little bit of shallots and a little bit of garlic into a skillet. All right? Now that is probably the start of 30 or 40 different recipes that I could make. Because shallots and garlic and olive oil are God's ingredients. Mm-hmm. You let that go for a little bit. Then as they're starting to like get translucent, you throw in your, your cold from the refrigerator leftover pulled pork. And you work that around in that skillet with that mixture for just a couple of minutes. You're trying to heat it up because when we put it on the grilled cheese, it's going to help melt the cheese along with Mm, the heat on the outside mm, of the bread. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, you could do this with American singles, and you're going to have a good time. I Mm -hmm. promise. But I am a cheese hound. So I used sharp cheddar. I used Havarti. Mm. And I used Gouda. Three cheeses. I like all of those skillet reheated pulled pork. Use any bread that's your favorite. I happen to use a big sourdough with lots of crevices and crags in it. Mm -hmm. This is probably the best sandwich I've had that wasn't from a really nice restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Probably the best sandwich I've ever made at home. So I wanted to share it on with you. You can interpret this recommendation several different ways. You could just make a grilled cheese with Havarti and Gouda and cheddar. Mm-hmm. If you don't have any pulled pork, you could use the pulled pork stuff, but not throw the skillet, uh, shallots, and onion stuff if you don't have any of that. Yeah, but I'm lame. telling you, this will change your life. Pulled pork and grilled cheese sandwich. Bam. Yeah, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Uh, I may oh, yeah. even have to like uh, hit you up for the instructions on how to make one of those mm-hmm. at some point mm-hmm. uh, because uh, that sounds so good. Yeah, um, it's awesome. Um, um, speaking of eating, I watched the 1931 Dracula the other day and, uh, and, uh, I wanted to, I had a, um, I have a 4k version of this. Now when it gets to, you know, 4k movies from this era, I don't know how much you're getting in return here. Like, it's not like, I don't know if you can make it look even more spectacular than it already is or whatever, but, um, the 1931 Dracula, obviously, it's 90 years old, so uh, it's it's not going to have the same impact a lot for, for modern audiences as it did way back when. But there is something haunting about watching a movie this old and this famous. Uh, the way they shot it, uh, especially when you see Bela Lugosi's performance as Dracula in this, where it's a lot of like stares and like wide eyed looks at people and you're like, what the hell is he? What is, what is he look at? Why is he staring? What is this? <laughs> think about, think about an audience back in 1931 watching this in a theater. Um, because the people in here, we've seen so many crazies now in movies and like real mm. life that, 
that you know this type of behavior we oh that's that's old hat you just go to you just go outside and find find these people but like um just the it's a it's a a movie that you want to watch just to see way back when how they were able to create a mood uh about things and and the way they do it with their lighting and cinematography and this black and white and you know and everything there's just something very there's something about it that like you know you watched it in 1931 it was a modern movie it was still it was very scary probably back then who yeah. knows uh it may it may have not have been too scary for some people i don't know but you watch it now and it feels like you're you're going into an old house and you're really go you're really in fact going into an old house the way this is shot now where it's just you know where where the way you look at it now uh you're 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 actually exploring this relic yourself and it just feels that old when you walk mm. in um and uh and uh so yeah there's some moments in this that are like very 1931 and just kind of like uh yeah okay you know that's uh not, but this movie's an hour and 15 minutes you can't you can't go wrong it's 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 short it's to the point uh and uh, bella lugosi is awesome in it if you've never seen the original dracula i would say go watch it you're going to have moments where you're like eh, okay some of this is i don't really need uh, any of this but but the way that they do the horror in this is amazing i think and <laughs> just the way it puts you in a mood uh throughout there's a reason why it's a classic and so oh, yeah. um i recommend it if you've never seen it i have never seen it um I've seen a lot of movies from the 30s, but not mm. this one. Yeah, um, it's uh, it, and uh, yeah. Go ahead. It's just, it's just. I mean, it's just a different way. I mean, uh, why I would recommend it to you, in, in particular, is just that I think you would look at it uh, with that kind of modern uh, day eye and be like, man, there's some things they did back in 1931 that I didn't know that they could even do. You know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And Bela Lugosi himself and the guy who plays Renfield in this, they're all like, this is, they're bringing it, man. They're just bringing it. And awesome. uh, everybody else is like bland. I mean, the guy who plays Van Helsing is pretty good, pretty good, I guess. But like everybody else is kind of like bland, you know, like who gives a fuck about these people? Uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. Well, let's get some Bella Lugosi in here already. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think you might enjoy this. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like I might. I'm going to have to check that mm. out. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Alrighty. And now it's time for this week's Big Recommend. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big it's so huge it's a good rule but this is bigger than rules it's bigger on the inside 
Is it? I noticed. 1988's Eight Men Out. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a fascinating uh, movie for me personally because I had probably seen Field of Dreams 15, 20 times mm-hmm. before I ever saw Eight Men Out. And there's a lot of Shoeless Joe Jackson talk, uh, in particular, in Field of Dreams. Kevin Costner's character is the biggest Shoeless Joe Jackson fan you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to proselytize to his daughter about the wonders of Shoeless Joe Jackson. Uh, and does, stop, does not believe he threw the series like all the other players. Statistically, if you look at it, you can tell. Anyway, <clears throat> so this movie takes that particular scandal of the Throne World Series of 1919 between the Chicago White Sox and the Cincinnati Reds uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson is just one member of the White Sox, and uh, there are a handful of others. I say around eight or nine, I believe. I think it's eight. Oh, it's eight men out. It's in the title. Duh. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who are charged with a conspiracy after the series is lost uh, to throw the World Series in exchange for money, um, <clears throat> which many of them did, uh, and many of them ultimately will admit, at least to the camera. Um, Buck Weaver which is John Cusack's character. Um, He never took a dime, and he played really good the whole series, and somehow he ends up wrapped up in this trial at the end, and it really pisses him off, Mm -hmm. Uh, justifiably so. Uh, Joe Jackson is portrayed by this film. I don't know if we'll ever know for sure. Um, It's portrayed by this film as uh, too unsmart to really understand what's happening. Yeah. Um, And... He's strong-armed um, into, I guess, accepting this con uh, and being a part of it by one of the players who just basically says, hey, you don't want to go against the other guys. All the other guys are in. You don't want to be a snitch, right. do you? And he's portrayed rather simple uh, in his mind in terms of his goals. He just wants to play baseball. He doesn't want to get in any trouble. Um, <clears throat> but he's, he's portrayed as illiterate, uh, which I believe he was in real life. Um, and... Uh, Everybody else, Charlie Sheen, uh, Michael Rooker, Daniel Strathairn, all of them take the money and play bad baseball on purpose. Um, And I think it impacted the world of baseball and sports um, from then on um, to the degree that Pete Rose, you know, was kicked out of baseball for life for for gambling, for doing this very kind of thing. Even though yeah. he wasn't throwing games, he was, was often like betting on his own team. Two, one, one or two years after this movie came out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Um, and so it, you just have a great cast here. Uh, and we follow from the beginnings of the conspiracy right before the World Series starts all the way to the trial and the final verdict of the hard-ass commissioner of baseball. Um and it kind of paints most everybody with a little bit of sympathy. Um, Comiskey, the guy that owns the team, is just a tight ass. Um, he screws over his players. He had promised uh, David Strathairn's character, Seacott, a $10,000 bonus if he won 30 games that year. And after he won 29, Comiskey forced the coach to bench him for three weeks. He missed five starts. Uh, and did not get his 30 wins and therefore did not get his $10,000 bonus. Uh, I also want to talk about, before I get too much further, the amounts of money we're talking about and how small they are. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get 10000 from Comiskey for his 30 games, but he agrees to be a part of this conspiracy for $5,000. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked it up. The equivalent to 2021 would be 70 
$8,000. Really? Um, and I don't think any baseball player <laughs> would go, you're going to pay me $78,000 to throw an entire World Series? Because, of course, baseball has been corporatized to the point where now players are bazillionaires. Mm -hmm. There's no incentive for them to take money to throw games. Um, but even back then, this was not a huge amount of money. These guys were just that pissed uh, at their owner, who didn't probably even pay them the base salaries that they were worth. And so that's why they were able... Uh, in fact, it's Christopher Lloyd's character who overhears players grumbling about the owner, and he kind of sets the first domino in motion. Um, he goes to a guy and says, hey, I think some players are upset. I think they could probably be bought to lose the series. What about your boss? He goes to his boss, and his, that guy says no. So this guy decides to do it himself. Then a different guy comes to the, that boss and says, how about it? And that <laughs> boss says, yes. Everybody has a racket in this movie. And I think that's one of the underlying themes because in the first few minutes, you see two little kids outside a baseball game and one of them is just crying and crying. And some adult turns and hands his brother a coin and says, go buy him something to shut him up. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they put the coin in that kid's hand, the kid stops crying and they basically exchange smiles. Everybody's got some kind of an angle or a racket going here. Um, but, but before you go further, one I was I was looking now now I'm looking on a random inflation calculator. So uh -oh, this could I did be the completely wrong. Calculation. wrong. This sound, I mean I when I when I heard seventy nine thousand I was like man it seems like it would be more ten thousand would be more. <laughs> um, but the the a random inflation calculator that I've looked up said that would be one hundred and seventy one thousand dollars. Which uh, from ten or from from nineteen nineteen. Uh, if you got ten thousand, if something cost ten thousand dollars, sure. it would cost one hundred and seventy-one thousand. That's pretty close then, because what I looked up was the five thousand uh, dollar value valuation. Oh, I see what and you're that's saying. where I got the seventy-eight thousand from. So mm -hmm. that's pretty close. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, if we split cut that in half, yeah, I didn't think about the five thousand. Um, I uh. But the point ultimately to me is that I think these guys did it more because they were angry at Comiskey than because yeah, for sure. of the money. Mm -hmm. Um. <clears throat> Of course, after they throw the first couple of games, the coach, who's played by John Mahoney, um, the, the dad from Frazier, mm -hmm. um, he he knows right then. He suspects from the minute one in game one, but after the second game, he knows. And he mm -hmm. goes right to Comiskey and says, I think they're throwing this series. Comiskey goes right to the commissioner of baseball <laughs> and comes out of his ho hotel room and doesn't say a word and disappears because he has been told off. And I'm mm -hmm. sure the commissioner at that point is probably saying, you don't want anyone talking about people throwing a baseball game. Yep. Shut your mouth. Mm -hmm. Well, then the gangsters and the gamblers decide not to pay the players or to pay them little tiny bits of what they'd promised at a time to keep mm. them on the hook. Yeah. This tests some of the players who, at least at one game in the, in the series, decide, fuck it, we're playing good, and they mm. win. <laughs> they, win. Um, they end up losing the series five to three because back then they played nine games in the yep. World Series. Um, so they did win three games in the series, uh, but statistically, if you look at this series, the, it's pretty clear that most of these guys were not trying very hard. Uh, they were, on paper, the best team ever assembled. They should have crushed the Reds. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, at that point, I think I'll just throw it out to you and see uh, what do you have to say? What were your thoughts this time through? I have several notes that I want to get to, but they're all kind of specific -y. Yeah. Um, in uh, general, what were your thoughts? It was funny. Last week, I thought that the uh, line that Michael Rooker said was said with a lot more, like, uh, disgust 
than he did because now re-watching it it's it's more of a a, a one-liner uh when that uh when that guy approaches him sort of like eh, hypothetically if we were to get a team to throw the world series what would you think it would uh would uh would take to get that and then rooker goes through that whole thing about you need two pitchers you needed a couple of infielders and a couple of the heavy batters and blah 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 and uh and goes i can't imagine uh imagine any uh, ball players wanting to throw a world series and he goes you've never played for charlie comiskey um <laughs> Uh, but, um, yeah, this movie, I've, I've seen this probably, I don't know, three or four times over the years. Uh, it's, it's, uh, uh it's funny cause there's so many baseball movies that came out during this era. You had the natural, mm-hmm. you had uh, eight men out, you had major league, which also had Charlie Sheen in it. You had mm-hmm. uh, bull Durham, you had field of dreams. Baseball was, uh, was a, a sport that that studios really wanted to put out content for and now they really don't ever baseball no. is not that sport anymore but um i think if i recall this isn't the only this is the only instance where it was sent to some sort of high profile thing like ga- like gambling and throwing games and things like that were common i think back in this day back in this era uh, but this is the one that that eventually got you know sent up to the moon because this is such a great team and like this team should have demolished them. I love the opening of this where it's mm. back and forth between introducing our characters and it goes to Comiskey who is very proud and very like you know like it's not a matter of uh, if uh, we're gonna win this it's how many games it's gonna take and and uh, you know it's uh, do you think it'll be any more than you think it will you be able to win it in six it's like well we'll be winning win it way before then or whatever or something like that which is you know basically a sweep um but um uh so i so i love how it how it starts where there's this where we get all the different uh characters their angles even the very first one of the first lines you hear in this movie the camera's going through the stands and you hear that person go i bet you two dollars he does and you can bet me two dollars he doesn't and that's what uh it's something that sets the whole tone for this movie because gambling is such a huge part of enjoying sports for many yep. people. Um, I, it's funny looking back at Arnold Rothstein and like that guy died when he was 46. Wow. Uh, uh he died because he uh, had a poker, uh, debt that he didn't pay and he got shot to death in New York. Um, and I'm sitting there thinking Michael Lerner, Mike, now, I love Michael Lerner to death. He's a, a guy who's been in nearly 200 things in his life. It's oh, yeah. uh, The guy has been in so many things, and he got nominated for an Oscar for Barton Fink. And if you've never seen Barton Fink, good movie to go and watch. But Michael mm-hmm. Lerner, I was sitting there thinking, Michael Lerner is probably a little bit too old to be playing Arnold Rothstein here. But nope, he wasn't. He was playing like 47. He was like 47, 48 when he was playing Arnold Rothstein there. Um, and I love the whole, like, you know, the – I love the discussion about why he can't get personally involved. This is something that a lot of people, uh, you know, d- wouldn't, wouldn't even consider according w- with betting lines and things like mm-hmm. that. If R- Arnold Rothstein goes to some sort of betting house and says, I want to put it all on the reds, then the odds would just go straight down. Uh, you, you wouldn't be able to make any money off of this, uh, off of this anymore. Um, and uh 
it's 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 an interesting thing that I don't think a lot of movies would even cover. Uh, really, like they wouldn't cover the fact that the betting odds would be so out of whack because right. just because of him going in. And I love all the stuff that he's got this insulation basically where it, uh, it we're not, you know, it's, it's insulation where nobody's really sure if he's in on it or not in, in on it or not. And even in real life, they've never been able to prove that he was in on it or not. Uh, uh, a lot of people think he was for sure because he was that was the type of thing he would do but nobody really knows if he was really involved in all this but you have you know you have these people the the little guy getting screwed in every instance in this movie and when christopher lloyd and his buddy show up to try to come up with this idea and and everything they are instantly just like kicked out of this club once they come up with the idea they go to basically a middleman who i think the middleman ends up getting more money out of this than anybody uh he might. the what is what is his name the guy that uh, the, uh i don't uh Artie. it's a it's like something with something with a name um he he's, ends up in mexico though <clears throat> yeah yeah um it's sport sullivan is his name the is the, i think like he I gets with, i think he makes out like a bandit on this yeah. on this but there's a point where they finally when uh when he when they, those guys get some money basically a finder's fee i guess for for doing this in the first place or whatever i don't i didn't i couldn't follow i couldn't follow exactly why how they got cut out of all of it but it sounds like they were looking to get some sort of finder's fee out of it and then maybe place bets using that money on the reds yeah. and then and then get well but they didn't have any money so they get thrown a bone at one point and then that's when the white Sox win the game so they lose <laughs> everything um yep. uh so um so yeah i i love these performances i love seeing all these people and i love the choice here because shoeless i love the choices shoeless joe jackson is the star of this team which you would think john cusack would be playing in this movie mm. but mm. john cusack is playing buck weaver and there's a and there's an obvious real reason why he's the one playing Buck Weaver in this because Buck Weaver has the has the story of not having anything to do with this and he has the more interesting dramatic arc out of all this although maybe they maybe there's so little known about Shoeless Joe's involvement in this he never really said much about it I don't know uh but yeah db sweeney is a is a fine actor don't get me wrong but back in 1988 john cusack was the high wattage so it was kind of sure it was kind of a, it's an interesting thing because i remember uh years later when somebody brought this movie up i thought john cusack did play shoeless joe mm. and this guy was like no he didn't and i was almost about to get into a bet with him funny enough uh about if whether or not john cusack played shoeless joe in this movie uh, <laughs> well and as uh, Joseph says, uh, Buck Weaver is really like the main character here, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, he's the one that has sort of you know, the, the arc that goes through all of it. Um, and uh, I think as an actor, that's probably why he was drawn to that character yeah. instead of... Uh, now, if they've written the script to make Joe Jackson the main character, I, Cusack might have gone for, yeah, for that yeah. role. Yeah. And I, it, uh, well, it's interesting, too, just because Cusack is a Chicago guy, too. So Yeah uh so this is that this must have had a lot of personal meaning to him as well i think so i love the two sports writers one is oh, played yeah. by john sales himself yeah um and the other is played by a man named studs turkle yeah yeah um but they act as sort of a greek chorus 
I think, in yeah. this movie. Every <laughs> now and then we cut to them and they wryly observe on the goings-on of the series. Mm-hmm. And then, um, except for one scene where Sales walks through a train car that has the players in it and sings I'm Forever Throwing Ball Games instead mm-hmm. of I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles. Yeah. Um, it's a great scene because he's basically just laying it all out there and nobody says a word mm-hmm. um but except for that one scene they're really like the stadler and waldorf of the movie just kind of chiming in from what is likely and most often the case the the, the most accurate perspective of what's going on like after the trial ends and the confessions are all mysteriously lost mm-hmm. and so all the players are acquitted it cuts to them and sales goes that was a bigger fix than the series yeah yeah uh, <laughs> yeah He's just sort of serving as the commentator for us, you know, to sort of line us up with what we're watching and, and what we're supposed to take away from it. It's one of my favorite things about this movie is how we keep cutting back to their little exchanges with one Yeah, of them. and Sales uh, putting himself in his own movie doesn't seem like a stunt, kind of like what you see with a lot of directors. Uh, he looks like he's actually playing a part in the, that movie. and Oh, yeah. Uh, he's playing Ring Lardner, who I think... His son, Ring Lardner Jr., was one of the uh, was like a screenwriter who was uh, blacklisted during the uh, uh, oh, wow. during all the whatever McCarthyism? The, the McCarthy stuff. I think his son was uh, was uh, blacklisted during all that. Uh, wow. Ring Lardner Jr., I believe, wrote the play for Mash, um, or he wrote he wrote something having to do with Mash. I can't remember wow. what it was, but um, that's good trivia. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, just, it's just populated with all these characters and I love, I mean, I just love Michael Rooker. I just love hearing him talk. I love hearing it like, and the, all through this, he's just, it's so funny. Like he's like, he's, he's the one who's, who's doing, who's really guiding this, this, uh, this fix. And, uh, there's a point where, uh, one of the pitchers, the lefty lefty guy comes up to him and says, uh, so, uh, so is uh, Seacott still on? Seacott's uh, David Strathairn. Uh, is Seacott still? Is he still on board? And he said, "Yeah, man, he's still on board. He's obviously like he's not convincing at all." And, uh, <laughs> but like he's got this confidence all the way through. Like, like it doesn't even matter if I'm doing this. I'm just making money. It doesn't matter. And he, like during the trial, he's just smiling and laughing because mm-hmm. he knows mm-hmm. it. He knows the fix is in there too. Yeah. Um, there's a the moment also they they make the Kennesaw Mountain Landis the commissioner for life. One thing that you cannot know from this movie is that's one of the all time. Uh, well, I don't know if you want to use the word all time, but he was he was one of the biggest reasons why integration in baseball did not happen for a very long mm. time. Um, and so, you know, the hiring of him in this movie is, is seen as sort of a, uh, double-edged sword, uh, I think, because he's asking to be commissioner for life and the, and the owners don't really want that, but they also know that they're in quite a jam here. Uh, if the white Sox are, are caught, uh, uh, if they are perceived as guilty, uh, of doing all of this there's so many things about this movie so many aspects that you can yep. go you go and explore on this um yep uh there's so many little avenues and details it's really fun i also like the fact that john cusack and uh john mahoney play uh in say anything the next year too uh there's a yeah. there's a there's a point uh where they have two different distinct conversations mahoney is asking him you know 
what's what's the matter with you and there's a real father-son relationship going yeah. on there uh that's really good and uh and then of course next the next year he's dating her who's playing his his daughter in the movie uh in the in say anything after that uh it's just a fun little uh one-two connection there i uh i love sudden nancy travis yeah um, being uh eddie's wife but she makes the worst bet I think I've ever seen in history yes. because she does not bet for her husband to win. She bets the man in front of her that her husband is going to get a no-hitter yeah. <laughs> in a World Series game. Yeah, yeah. And and she lost that bet as soon as she spoke it. I, yeah. I understand, Karen. Anyway, um, I also <laughs> love this, this poor fucking catcher who oh, is yes. not in on it. And I'm shocked he doesn't catch fire at some point during one of these games because Same. he's just... All of his scenes are just him losing his mind that these <laughs> players are doing this. Like, yeah. he's so angry. It's one of my well, favorite things. And, it, and it's like he is still innocent enough in this movie that he's he does he still doesn't he's he, he you could have told him that they were throwing the game and he didn't wouldn't have believed it. That's yeah. that's how much he's into this. When yeah. but but then by the end of it, when he's getting interviewed by that guy looking for the article, he's like he's like all day I was asking for fastballs and he kept throwing curveballs. I don't know what the hell's going on, <laughs> you know. So uh, so he probably did, but he was. Tra I mean, yeah, it is funny. Like every single play, he knows. He, you would think he knows what's going on, but he's yelling at him anyway. <laughs> when Seacott <laughs> comes over and cuts off the throw to home, yeah, with Jack. <laughs> Jackson would totally have gotten that guy out. The catcher just goes, why did you cut that off? <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, man. And uh, and then it has uh, it has, it has a, a very interesting ending, too, where uh, Shoeless Joe is playing in a Bush League at the end of it. And uh, I love I, – I, I feel like this doesn't have to be in the movie. This scene doesn't have to be. But it, no. I feel like – sales wrote this and he was like i really want to have this in here and it's a great scene i'm glad he has it in the movie mm -hmm. but uh but but there but people in the bleachers sitting there talking about like have i seen that guy before who's this guy and he said you know what you know who it is it's shoeless joe jackson I'm like who's that shoeless joe shoeless joe he used to be one of the best players in the world or whatever and then and then uh, by the end of it, it you see uh you see a uh, Cusack on the Buck Weaver at the on the on the and the bleachers and they're like it's like uh I I I used to I used to see uh I used to see Shoeless Joe play he's like what do you think it's him he's like nah it's not him and yeah. uh and he goes and run and, uh they they keep asking why is Shoeless Joe playing so shallow why is he playing so shallow is this, he's gonna get burned on this and the guy hits a ball like all the way to the wall and he runs it down. And yeah. uh, uh, and uh, to to think that somebody would be even better than this player is uh, is uh, a is a uh, you know kind of an interesting topic uh, on this in these bleachers. But I love that I wonder, ending scene. I wonder if that is speculated that he went out. I love that we're because we're in like 1920. The average person does not cannot confirm by looking at a person in front of them if that's shoeless Joe Jackson mm -hmm. or not, yeah. because it's not this age of photographs being everywhere, right. baseball cards being everywhere. And they have this honest debate. Is it him or not? And they're going by his playing ability, not mm -hmm. his facial features, mm -hmm. not the giant wad of chaw on his cheek. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. I really, really enjoy this movie. I hope that 
the listeners and live viewers enjoyed it as well. I am very excited to see what our super secret surprise double feature is going to be. Be very, very quiet. Secret? What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Of course, I will go through the usual requisite uh, not double features. Of course. Of course. Um, the um, the uh, the first one is the natural, and not just because it's baseball, but there is uh, certain elements of the natural that uh, that flow along with Eight Men Out, and uh, there's even a moment at the end when the knights are trying to win the pennant at the end of the movie that the the owners are paying off the pitcher to throw the game mm. because they have you know they have more interest in uh in losing than they have in winning mm. um uh so so there's some some gambling elements in the natural uh especially by the character gus sams played by darren mcgavin but um so the natural would be a very very natural didn't mean the pun uh, 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 double feature. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna go with that. The other one I'm not gonna go with uh, is Quiz Show, um, which uh, is about uh, you know fixed uh, Quiz Show games, and then eventually being told to take a dive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and their Quiz Show would be an excellent uh, second feature with this movie. I yeah. ended up with. Let's just keep it in Chicago, baby. The Untouchables. Ooh. Ooh, I sent Aaron a prediction that would have kept it in Chicago, but that's not what you chose. Oh. My prediction was The Sting. Um, ah, The Sting would be good, yeah. yeah. But Untouchables, yeah, baby, because that yeah. movie rules. Yeah, The Untouchables, um, you know, it has the gangster element. It's not you know much gambling going on but it's the chicago of it and eight men mm-hmm. out is so chicago uh uh it you know it, chicago is definitely sort of a, a character in both the movies mm-hmm. and uh and so uh and so to put it the untouchables and you have rothstein in one and then you have capone in the next and uh man talk about a cast that you could do some six degrees separation with the, this movie and the untouchables <laughs> holy crap that's a lot yeah. of star power right there man yeah it is so um yeah it is so, yeah the untouchables i believe i think the it would have been about what 10 years later 10 years after this somewhere around yeah. there because that's when uh, prohibition yeah um uh but uh anyway that that's the one that i came up with i think that's a good one so i like it i like that pick a mm. lot and i think honestly untouchables is a good double feature for any movie yeah pretty much Pad- paddington 2 paddington 2 yeah absolutely. um <laughs> all right so what is our homework for next week good sir uh, homework for next week um i'm going back into the comedy realm although it's not just a comedy kung fu hustle um <laughs> this movie came out here in 2005 i believe it came out in 2004 in uh in uh, china um uh but this movie is just madcap fun um it is uh it's like a it's like a warner brothers cartoon uh a live action cartoon almost um and uh i haven't seen it in forever so I want to want to I want to rewatch this and uh and uh you know see if I rem- if it's as good as I remember. So yeah, this, this was, is 
Is this the same guy who made Shaolin Soccer? Shaolin Soccer, yes. Okay, awesome. Then I have seen this, and I remember loving it, but I've only seen it once. Yeah, so. same here. So, uh, yeah, Stephen Chow is the one who made this. Movie. Okay, yeah. Um, um, but, well, uh, it looks like Kung Fu Hustle is on Hulu with a standard subscription, not a premium one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like it's on Pluto, whatever the crap that is, um, and then available to rent at all the normal places. I saw something on our Discord, I think, where somebody was like, so we need to get Jeremy on Pluto. It's a free it's a free service. It's ads, but there's it's free and you can it's got a lot of good movies and TV on it. I I don't I'm not sure about Pluto either. I don't have it myself, but um yeah, okay. uh, Joseph says Pluto to my knowledge is like Tubi, which yeah, that would Tubi is the exact same same sort of deal. Uh, right. but uh yeah uh looking forward to that um i haven't seen it in forever so uh, hopefully it doesn't uh it hasn't aged poorly no i don't think it will have i'm excited mm-hmm. all right so let's uh let's look at the time yeah we got time for some questions question question i got something to say i want the truth i'm listening um let's get to the questions and uh and get everybody out to lunch if time travel were real what is mm. the stupidest, selfish thing you would use it for? I would go back in time and tell my past self. would go back into 1998, and I would say, every movie in 1999 may not be great, but you want to watch every movie in 1999 and not watch every movie in 2005. <laughs> Oh, 2005 is the most notorious year in movies uh, for you and by association. One day, one day I may, I may run down the, um, the schedule in 2005 and you'll just, you'll just guffaw at how many bad movies there are. There are, um, there are surprisingly a surprising amount of good movies in 2005. There's just so many bad ones. Anyway, I would, uh, that's my selfish thing. I mean, this is not my answer. But there were probably a few moments with girlfriends from my youth that I would go back and give myself better advice about. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I'm, I'm, I'm making it sound like I knocked up 15 people. That's not really what I mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Only seven. I just, I just mean, you know, some early things like kissing was, was awkward as hell. Um, what I really would do, because I have to go even stupider than that, um, is I would go back in time to eat foods or snacks that have been discontinued or mm. eat at restaurants that have mm-hmm. closed. So I remember I really liked Crystal Pepsi, and you can make fun of me all you want, but I would probably use a time machine to go back and try Crystal Pepsi again. I remember Chi-Chi's, the Mexican uh, chain, mm-hmm. that even though they went out of business because somebody died eating their food, oh, wow. I, loved I didn't remember that, that. place. Oh, uh, it was a lettuce, listeria, oh. some kind of thing. I mm. think somebody died, and then mm-hmm. they were sued, and then poof, you're gone. But they had some really good food. Stuff like that. There's a lot of snacks and candies from the 80s that they were really experimenting with, and they, they, they went away, and they, they don't make them anymore. Mm-hmm. That's that's me. If I had a time machine and I was going to do something stupid with it, it would probably be to get Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, somebody made a reference to uh, the Crystal Gravy. That's the SNL sketch where they. they 
<laughs> and it, I think it had that right now Van Halen song playing over it too, because that's what the Crystal Pe- Pepsi yeah. ad did. Right now, right. Uh, let's see what else we got. Any answers here in the? Any other answers? I remember Chi-Chi's. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Steel butterscotch soda. That's a pretty weird thing to do with a time machine. Mm-hmm. But, um, I like how specific it is. Now, all right, uh, now, <clears throat> if if you want to get all time traveler's wife on this crap. Would you want to go back in time and tell yourself about these girlfriends? Because would you have met your wife if you didn't? If 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 you if you heard your future self who's tell you to, who's to know? I'm not trying to like get out of any of those old girlfriend situations sure. as much as I'm just trying to give young Jeremy a better path forward in terms of like how to kiss a girl. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, things like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, that's I mean, that's that's the whole that's the whole butterfly effect mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Butterfly yep. flaps mm-hmm. its wings yep. in Central Park. Right. Um, and you were never born. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on. What are your favorite DVD commentaries? My favorite one that I always go back to is the Ben Affleck Armageddon commentary where he makes fun of the movie. That is mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't listen to as many commentaries as I used to. Um. The last one I listened to was for uh, Anomalisa. Um, oh, wow. Um, and I thought that was a really good one um, because it, just talking about uh, how – was it, did, did I, now I'm wondering if Anomalisa had a commentary track because it had a behind-the-scenes, and just all the behind-the-scenes was, was, uh, was crazy enough. But the ones that I remember, uh, Alexander Payne on Election – uh elections uh commentary tracks really good uh there's a little bit of cinema sins and alexander Payne, uh just a little bit every time i see a little bit of cinema sins and a director when they're talking about their own work i'm like that's our that's our people they he may not like us but he's our people um and uh the other one was zero effect uh the jake mm. kasdan uh commentary on zero effect i keep uh, thinking that one day I'm going to make Zero Effect a big recommend, but I don't think you can find it very many places uh, except mm. to rent it on Prime, maybe. But um, but uh, anyway, those two, Zero Effect and Election, had really good commentaries on them. Right. Uh, Payne even put in a point where uh, he, he shows Matthew Broderick on a phone, and he says, now notice, the phone hangs up on the other end, but the dial tone doesn't come on afterwards, like a whole bunch of other movies do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I also, I mean, I can't remember the last time I watched a commentary. It was a very brief period of my life when DVDs were exploding where I would watch that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I uh, just kind of fell off of it. Now I don't even think they do it very much anymore. Um, but uh, I do know that I watched, there was a period when my wife and I first got married where we didn't have cable and our antenna didn't pick up much of anything. So we just watched DVDs, but we only owned like six. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and one of them was Finding Nemo. We watched Finding Nemo over and over and over again. And we watched all the behind the scenes, like how fucking hard it was for them to figure out how to animate water at that point in time. Um, and I do remember that the com- commentary talked about how that opening scene where that barracuda kills every baby and the mama except for Nemo was originally going to be flashbacks in the mm-hmm. middle of the movie. Uh, but they wanted you to bond. They wanted you to, to completely buy Marlin's overprotectiveness right from the start uh, instead of explaining it to you later. 
So, mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, on I would the say, uh, answers my, over here, you got Polly saying the Akiru commentary was amazing. That's Akira Kurosawa, so I don't I don't yeah. know if uh, he he himself was on that commentary or what, but that's uh, I bet that is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Backinson says obligatory mention of Tropic Thunder because after all. I don't get out of character until I do the DVD commentary. Um, uh, the James Gunn Suicide Squad one was great, as was Joss Whedon's Avengers. Uh, Jagged says uh, Ghostbusters commentary. I've heard that one, and that one is very good. That has a lot of uh, a lot of different people on it. I think it has Reitman and Aykroyd, and uh, a lot of people were on that one. Um, uh, the Spaceballs one, we were going to make the opening scene with the ship an hour and a half, but we were told no. <laughs> That's <laughs> really funny. Um, but uh, And then uh, Polly also says, I bet Sin Seti has an awesome commentary. Does it, make, does it make the movie good? Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> go on to the uh, – do we have another – we have one more question maybe? Uh, sure. Let's do one more question, uh, even though I already closed my file. Because oh, sorry. I, I didn't know you did that. No, you're good. Uh, what's your favorite shocking and unexpected movie moment? Like when Samuel L. Jackson dies in Deep Blue Sea, spoiler, or that girl in Final Destination gets hit by that bus. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, DiCaprio getting shot immediately when the elevator hits the floor in The, oh, in the yeah. Departed. Like, yep. you, you have an idea that he might die, but not, like, that sudden. Because in most movies, the the star of the, uh, or one of one of the stars of the movie is going to get their, their moment before they die. But <laughs> as soon as that elevator opens, it's like, boom, he's dead. And then well, it becomes... he's, like, mid-speech, isn't he? Like, y- he's, yeah, like, giving a pep like, talk, and the shark comes up out of the water. Oh, well, you're talking about Samuel L. Jackson. I'm talking oh, about yeah. The Departed. I was uh, reading about Samuel Jackson and you and, and I misheard you. I'm, I'm no, sorry. No, Samuel yeah, Jackson is <laughs> Samuel. L. J- yeah, in the Deep Blue Sea. Yeah, he's giving a pep talk and the shark comes up and eats him. In, my wire is crossed. In The Departed, uh, DiCaprio is just sending Matt Damon to jail, and then his buddy, his bear, uh, played by uh, Aaron Badge, well, was it ba- was it something James Badge? James Badge. Badge. Goes in and, and shoots DiCaprio immediately, and then it becomes a comical series of people getting shot uh, left and right after that. Uh, but uh, the other one that I had on here was um, in Seven uh, when uh, when John Doe is talking about uh, talking about uh, David's wife Tracy, uh, while Somerset goes to find find out what's in the box because he's the only one who finds out what's in the box. What's in the uh, box? Uh, but uh, but. You, the whole thing has been set up for all this, you know, uh, what's, what's he going to do? He's got two more victims. What's it? What? And it, it turns out to be David Mills wife. His head's in a box. Oh my God. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> oh, oh God. <laughs> he like so. talks himself out of it like five different times. Like mm-hmm. he's really, he's really on the edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are both good. Um, yeah. I like, I wrote down, um, when that guy does that big sword routine and Indiana Jones just pulls out a gun and shoots uh, him. Yep, yep. Which I think was probably, if I remember it right, was not the way it was originally scripted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of those, like, uh, Goodfellas going through the kitchen kind of, like, happened magically on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I wrote, uh, when Wash dies in Serenity, um, Alan Tudyk. Mm-hmm. Because even though Whedon has, had never been afraid to kill characters... If he was going to kill somebody, you wouldn't think it would be the comic relief of the entire show. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So anyway, I was a big Firefly fan, so that one was really shocking. For me too. Um, a couple of the, the answers over here. You have um, uh, uh, <laughs> JC says, honestly, recently it would be the scene where Costner's character in No Way Out starts speaking Russian. <laughs> uh, Marvin getting shot in Pulp Fiction. Although, you know, it's funny. I, the when i watched pulp fiction for the first time and john travolta like turned around and there's that big gun in the in the camera i was like oh no oh no <laughs> is he gonna get he's gonna shoot him um uh chris back just shot says, marvin in the face yeah chris baggins says i think in seven when that completely dehydrated dude is still alive is an even bigger shot oh. yeah it is it is kind of i kind of expected that to happen though because especially when the dude comes over and says you deserve everything you kidding or something like that you kind of had this feeling but but everybody's been dead so far so like even if you think it might happen it's still like a shock and a half when it happens when the guy starts coughing all of a sudden um he's he's encountered much more he's encountered more suffering than i've ever seen give or take and he still has hell to look (laughs) forward to um the sixth sense fun fact i didn't watch that movie until my mid-20s watched it for the first time and knew nothing about that movie until i watched it for the first time well good for you because i didn't Um, yeah i was spoiled on that doc um yeah jc brings up that the fact that the gun scene was only done because harrison ford had food poisoning yeah Uh, that's right that is a that is a one of the most beautiful facts in movie history uh that uh they came up with that uh they came up with that moment just because he needed to get the fuck out of there yeah uh, <laughs> uh all right everybody thank you so much for uh, coming out and uh participating on uh this uh, episode uh the next week is kung fu hustle i hope you guys enjoy it i hope i enjoy it i haven't seen it in forever but i remember loving it so uh it'll be interesting to uh to to look that one over again uh, but yeah uh, anyway uh yeah uh hope everybody has a good week and we'll yeah. uh, see you see you next time thanks bye Chat with us on the CinemaSins Discord at discord.gg slash CinemaSins or CinemaSins Twitter at CinemaSins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at CinemaSins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at CinemaSins.com. What's up? What's going on? I'm doing my Dr. Evil face. Mmm. Yes. Here is Mr. Aaron, sir. Hey guys. Hey guys. I'm I'm not hearing anything unusual. It might just be a natural warble. Mm, mm. It could be my natural Tuesday warble. How about and hop back in? Right. How about and hop back in? How about and hop back in? That's my favorite kindergarten song. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Actually, in kindergarten we used to play skipping tag. I don't know if you ever did that, but it was my favorite, but I got in trouble all the time. Skipping tag. It, so you had to, you know, skipping, right? It's kind of between walking and running, right? Um, yeah, but I've kids never heard skip. of skipping tag. Yeah, so we had a big circle on the floor in our in our kindergarten classroom, and we had to skip around the, the outside of the circle and try and tag. Like there was a person who was it, and everybody else was trying to skip away from them mm-hmm. in a circle. But I would always, I would always end up running, and then I would oh, get disqualified, oh, and they'd pull me out. Oh, I see. So. <clears throat> It wasn't that I was trying to cheat. It's just that I, I couldn't control myself. Mm-hmm. My five-year-old self just had no self-control, mm-hmm. and I just I went from a skip to a run like that. <laughs> <laughs>
I also used to get in trouble because I wanted to play with the wooden grocery cart that had wheels mm-hmm. um, of all the toys in the room. But th- their girls wanted to play with that, and they would keep telling me not to play with that because the girls wanted to play with it. <laughs> Which, in hindsight, <clears throat> gender roles. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Like, just let me play with the goddamn but, shopping cart. I'd- but <laughs> if there was anything gender gender neutral it would be a shopping cart i mean come on we had cool toys in hindsight i bet the kindergartners today had even better shit mm-hmm. i mean we had working rolling wooden shopping carts and lawnmowers and um, all kinds of great little toys i don't remember I- what kind of toys there were when i was younger in school or whatever i don't think i was much of a toy person Hmm. Like, I didn't mm. have action figures when I grew up. I didn't have any of that. Um, no Transformers, no G.I. Joes, nothing. Wow. Uh, and and uh, so whenever people talk about, like, their favorite toys and stuff, I'm like, I'm, just, I'm struggling to uh, to come up with anything that I used to play with all that often. Um, so, yeah, I don't. I don't think I did. I played with Legos a little bit, I guess. Legos were, yeah. Legos were a thing. Lincoln yeah. Logs. I uh, I had Transformers and I had Star Wars figures, mm-hmm. and yet somehow GI Joe was deemed not acceptable for me to watch Weird. or participate in. So I didn't have any GI Joe toys. I never watched a GI Joe cartoon, um, and that I think most every kid my age was a GI Joe and Transformers fan. Mm-hmm. But I was only a Transformers fan. Mm-hmm. Now all the kids, whenever they would start talking about GI Joe, I'd be like, oh, let's, "Let's talk about Transformers some more." I will <laughs> say that I do believe there were GoBots in my life. I believe mm-hmm. yeah, I had, I had GoBots. some GoBots. I believe yeah. I had GoBots, but um, not Transformers. I had a submarine GoBot. Mm-hmm. I quite liked some of the GoBots, to be honest. They were, but even then, it was obvious they were just ripping off Transformers. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I quite liked a few of those things. Oh, man. So um, there's a new trailer I want to watch, but I haven't had time yet. It's that um, it's that Babylon um, from oh, uh, Damien Chazelle. The, the, it's got uh, Margot Robbie. Yeah, and it's out, and I've had too busy a morning. I haven't been able to sit and watch it yet. Yeah, I want to see that trailer, too, now that I think about it. I saw, the, I saw some images from it. Yeah, they put out posters, like, yesterday. Um, this is the new thing. They put out posters the day before, and then they put out a trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Understand the marketing <clears throat> has its own like release date schedule now. Like That's a thing people look forward to for some reason. I saw, uh, apparently, at this Disney... I, I also love this thing where now all these brands have created their own media blitz day where they can drop all kind like DC has DC fandom where they drop all their trailers and all the stars come and reporters are all in the room acting like fanboys. And you just did the Disney one, the D 23 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And James Cameron showed some scenes from the new avatar movie. And these people are writing about 3d being awesome again. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to lose my shit. Mm-hmm. If we go back into this era of everything doing 3D because 3D is popular because mm-hmm. I feel like we've safely gotten away from that in the last several years. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading things like he's doing things with 3D you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. 
I've seen a lot of 3D before. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to... I mean, unless you can literally bring that motherfucking fish out of the screen right next to my shoulder in the back row and I can touch it, you're not really doing new things with 3D. Yeah. You're just doing new technology of 3D. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'll always uh, uh, reserve until I see it, but yeah, I don't, I don't have very high hopes for that being some savior for 3D. I don't, I mean, I'm not even interested in the movie in itself, so who cares? Even if the 3D is amazing, I have very highly doubt the movie is. Yeah, um, that's the problem. I, mean, I think there's no question that he's a technology boundary-pushing genius filmmaker. Mm. I just don't always think he puts as much effort into the story. Mm -hmm. um, and even like Titanic. The first time I saw Titanic, I was blown away. Blown away. I was like five rows back. It was such a freaking experience. And you step back from that spectacle, and you watch Titanic as just a movie, and it just, it's cheesy as hell. Mm -hmm. Anyway. You know, um, it's crazy to think that the amount of time between Titanic and Avatar, he almost matched that for the next movie. Like that's he that's how much time has passed since Avatar. Actually, it's more time because uh, Titanic was ninety seven, Avatar was two thousand nine, and this yeah. is thirteen years. So he's thirteen years. He's gonna have an even longer hiatus than he did last time. So he's made he's gonna be three movies in twenty five years. That's crazy. After he had made he wasn't prolific by any stretch, but he was making them like every three years at one point. Yeah. Yeah, and then he he slowed way the hell down. Um, and I think he whatever whatever <clears throat> technology he created or discovered to make Avatar, I think he spent the time between Titanic and that developing and perfecting this visual technology. Because Avatar looked awesome. It looked awesome. Mm -hmm. I fucking hate that movie, but it looked awesome. Yeah. Also, uh, Papa Dragon's back. I read Papa Dragon. Um, Papa Dragon. Mm -hmm. And uh, he somehow has his own. Like he's also avataring into some kind of creature. Mm, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah.